0: Welcome to week two of our sermon series, Here, There, Everywhere. Uh, And here is our theme verse, Acts 1-8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Jerusalem, that's here, okay? We talked about that last week. Right here, Prodigal Church, 5445 North Palm Avenue here in Fresno, California, and all of the ministries that we do here and online. um, And that we learned that we are all about Jesus above everything else, and that we wanna be a church that's real. And today we're gonna be talking about there, right? You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem here, but also in Judea, Samaria, that's there. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and Samaria, Uh, Judea. That's those around us, our city, our neighborhood. And the core values that connects to Judea is belonging. Belonging. You belong before you believe. As is, just as you are, you belong. Everyone can serve, everyone can contribute. Here at Prodigal, everybody belongs. It's not behave, believe, belong. Sometimes in churches, it's, it's you've got to behave a certain way. You got to believe the right things, then you can belong. But that's not what we believe here at Prodigal Church. It's not behave, believe, belong. It's belong, believe, be changed. Everyone belongs. Come as you are. Sometimes in the church, you got to kind of do certain things before you get accepted. You got to believe the certain things. You got to behave the right way. You got to clean up. You got to hide your struggles. Uh, then you've got to think like us vote like us, look like us, and, then, and only then are you one of us, but the gospel is bigger and better than that. The good news of Jesus is bigger and better than that. There was a moment in ministry where I felt like God was beginning to have a call in my life towards planning a church. I was a youth pastor and all kinds of students were coming to our youth group on Tuesday nights. Some were 18 years old and had been kicked out of school or just stopped going. They cussed, they smoked, and they come to our youth group every Tuesday night. And there was a choir practice on our church campus the same night. And one of the singers approached me, they said, Pastor John, uh, that kid over there, uh, I heard him cussing and he smells like smoke. And I said, isn't it great that someone like that feels welcomed and accepted into our church? And she said, no. The church should be safe. And I said, you know, it's real sad when a Christian can't walk past a non-Christian on their way to choir practice. Prodigal church will forever be a church that has open arms, not crossed arms. It may not seem like a very big deal. It might just seem just like a little bit of movement, but our posture says something about us to the world. Open arms is an invitation. Crossed arms is exclusive. Open arms is welcome. Crossed arms is go away. Open arms focuses in on them. Crossed arms focuses in on us. Open arms is how Jesus died. Crossed arms isn't. People, real life people are what matters most in life. Men, women, and children are worth the greatest sacrifice, the supreme effort, the ultimate gift. Every person matters. Every person belongs. This is the earth shattering truth of the good news of Jesus. Everybody matters. What if when Sarah and I were dating, she gave me a list of things that i had to believe in order to be in relationship with her okay and on that list were a few things i had to believe in unicorns okay that was a non-negotiable i also had to believe in leprechauns fairies flying ponies and a silver surfer that is the herald of galactus okay and i'd be like unicorns that's one thing but fairies that's just too much okay that's too far And if I don't believe in these things that she tells me I got to believe in, she says we're over, okay? That would be ridiculous. What's the point? What if becoming a Christian was much less like agreeing to a certain set of beliefs and much more like falling in love? If you are listening online at Prodigal, we are not asking you to believe a certain things. We're, we we're not asking you to believe in the same way, in the same exact things that we believe. We're asking you to perhaps open your heart to being in love with Jesus, to be a lover of God. And who knows, he just might sweep you off your feet. My family and I were hanging out just this last week at my parents' house and uh, my son Dex said, Dad, can you teach me how to play chess again? And so me and my dad and my son went upstairs and we started to play chess. My dad has this chess board that I bought him when we were in Africa. And so it's these really cool hand carved wooden pieces. And if you've ever played chess or been around anyone who has, you know that the board is filled with different characters, right? You've got the knight that can only move in the shape of an L. You've got the rooks that can go straight forward or straight across. Uh, you've got the bishops that can go in diagonal. The king that can kind of do anything, but he can only move one space. The queen can do whatever she wants. And then you finally have the pawns. The pawns can go just one space forward. That's it. The pawns are very limited. Their only real value was in drawing out other players so that you can get them in a trap, okay? So no one minds much when one of your pawns is killed. It was no great loss. The Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, tell us the life of Jesus, the stories of Jesus, the parables of Jesus, the interactions and the healings and the miracles of Jesus, and they all tell us that pursuing people that don't matter was a priority for him. Uh, Tax collectors, sinners, sick people, prostitutes. To Jesus, there is no such thing as no great loss. Every person matters. This is the earth-shattering truth of the gospel. The guilty matter, the guilty are loved. The God of the universe is in love with shameful people, you and me. G.K. Chesterton once wrote, all people matter, you matter, I matter. It's the hardest thing to believe. In theology. I agree. Galatians 2, Paul writes this When Cephas, Peter, came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he used to eat with Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy, so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas in front of them all, you are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? Now, there is a lot in here that we need to unpack, but Paul is saying that when he ran into Peter in Antioch, he opposed him. This was the two most predominant, strongest leaders in the early church. But because when certain conservative religious people came from James, Peter changed his behavior. He used to eat with the Gentiles, okay? The regular folk. He used to eat like the Gentiles. But when the religious people arrived, Peter began to draw back and distance himself from the Gentiles. I wonder if you were one of those people, how would it make you feel when the apostle Peter used to be close to you But then when the religious elite arrive, he withdraws. Would it make you feel important? Would it make you feel valued? Would it make you feel like you belong? He used to hang out with you, he doesn't anymore. The the apostle Paul sees this and he calls Peter out on it. What does he say to Peter? Does he say you're being prejudiced, you're being racist? Does he say you're being an elitist or you're being a snob? All those things actually might be true, but that's not what he says. What does he say? He says, Peter, you're not acting in line with the gospel. His mistreatment of others, his favoritism of others—it's a gospel issue. It's connected to the good news of Jesus. The phrase "not acting in line with the gospel" is a translation of the Greek word "orthopodeo." Ortho, where we get the word orthopedics, it means to walk in a straight course, to act uprightly. It comes from two words: ortho, which means straight or upright, and pois, feet. Right or correct feet. This is what he's saying to Peter. He's saying you're not lined up. You're not lined up with the good news. The Apostle Paul doesn't say that you're being an elitist, you're being a snob, you're being prejudiced. He says you're not walking in line. You're not upright in sync with the good news of Jesus. Your footing is all wrong and you're tripping. Peter was tripping. And we be tripping every time we prioritize to spend time with people that will help our career rather than people who don't. We'd be tripping when we put people in classes we be tripping. when we compromise love in order to please the religious voices in our lives and it's a gospel issue there is a behavior and an attitude aspect of the good news it's not just theology the gospel is a way to live and it's built on a line of grace and when we hop off that line and we move into favoritism elitism prejudice racism we be tripping we're not acting in line with the gospel belonging everyone is welcome no special status for the religious people here so where is there it's the neighbor across the street with two kids and you're convinced that one of their kids keeps coming over and is destroying your azaleas okay where is there it's it's at work the people that you rub elbows with every day. It's how you treat them. All of that is a gospel issue. Where is there? It's your family. It's your crazy aunt. It's your cousin that always asks for money. It's your mom and dad that have loved you more than you can ever imagine since the day you were born. It's all Judea. It's all surrounding you. People around aren't just people around. They are children of God with unsurpassable worth. Thomas Merton famously devoted himself to the monastic life, often feeling set apart by his devout practices. But for Merton, the defining moment of his adult life was this epiphany he had while standing on a street corner. He writes, in Louisville, at the corner of 4th and Walnut, in the center of the shopping district, I was suddenly overwhelmed with a realization i loved all those people that they were mine and i theirs it was like waking from a dream of separateness there's no way of telling people that they are all walking around shining like the sun i suddenly saw the secret beauty of their hearts the depths of their hearts where neither sin nor desire nor self-knowledge can reach the core of their reality the person that each one is in god's eyes if only they could all see themselves as they really are. If only we could see each other that way all the time. Love God, love people. It's it's not just our purpose statement because it looks good on paper. We really believe that loving God and people is the greatest purpose of humanity. Acts 1-8, and you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Jerusalem is here, prodigal church. We just looked at Judea there, around us, those familiar. But there is another there in this passage. It is Samaria. It is not enough to be witnesses to those around you. We must also be witnesses to those who are different than you. The call for the Christian is to love the people you hate. I'll say it one more time. The call for the Christian is to love the people you hate. Jews and Samaritans hated each other. And in his life, Jesus constantly challenges his disciples to love the people they hate. In John 4, Jesus's singular, longest conversation he has with one person is a Samaritan woman, a promiscuous Samaritan woman at the well. It's the longest conversation in the gospels between Jesus and one person. What does that say about his priorities? Do you see the expanding heart of God for the Christian? Look at the graph that we've been looking at First here, Jerusalem, then there. There is a growing heart that is getting bigger and bigger, breaking past the walls that keep us in. And the walls that kept the Jews from the Samaritans were very big back then. Now they weren't physical walls. They were prejudice walls, walls of racism, walls of there, the other, walls of demonizing them, Walls of using straw man arguments to assume the worst in the other. Jews and Samaritans hate each other, and yet here it is the call of the Christians to love the people you hate. The core value that connects with the second there, the Samaria, is diversity. Differences within a community creates beauty, depth, and wisdom. We strive to show Christ likeness in agreements, and disagreements alike. Diversity is a gift to the church. We all shouldn't be the same. The ancient mystic Zarusa said, "'When I die, God is not going to say, "'Why won't you more like Moses?' He'll say, "'Why were you not more like Zarusa?' Yes. Now, we love God's attention, God's focus. It makes us feel special. And you are special. Ancient Israel really loved God's attention as well. And they resented the fact that God wants to draw all people to himself. They wanted themselves to be the only apple of his eye. But your enemy is also the apple of his eye. Uh, we have Abraham. God says, you shall be my people and I will bless you and you will be a blessing. Israel often forgot that second part. They loved it that God was going to bless them, but they forgot about being a blessing. Then they have this exodus event, okay? Uh, 400 years after them being captive in Egypt, God raises up Moses and says, let my people go. And the exodus event was the defining moment for Israel that they are God's people. That showed that God is for us, not for our enemies. And it becomes the most pivotal event in the history of the people of God in the Old Testament. And yet, in the middle of that, God sends prophets hinting, pointing at a, a heart much bigger than just one people. Amos chapter nine, verse seven. "Are you Israelites more important to me than the Ethiopians?" asked the Lord. "I brought Israel out of Egypt, but I also brought the Philistines from Crete and led the Arameans out of Kerr. Do you see the -the off-the-charts implications here in this passage in Amos chapter 9, verse 7? It's saying that the people of God are not the only people of God. We are not the only important ones or special ones in God's eyes. The Exodus wasn't the only Exodus. God takes care of other people groups, has a heart for the whole world, not just your world. There is no God cares about us, but he doesn't care about us. Them, no, there is no them to God, He desires all of us. Everyone is special in God's eyes, and the just even how He chose His disciples demonstrates this. Thomas was a skeptic, Andrew had simple faith. Thomas and Andrew, very different. Andrew, simple, He he says, We found the Messiah. That's what He said, that's that was His, He we found Him, He's ours. Thomas was a skeptic. You go, I don't know if I believe that. I'm going to, I doubt it. Matthew was a tax collector. Simon was a zealot. The Aramaic word for zealot here is enthusiast. It was a label given to Simon. Zealots were a Jewish political sect that had intense nationalism and a hatred of Rome. Tax collectors were the ones who worked with Rome, betrayed their people, to align themselves with the Roman government. They were the scum of the earth, the very bottom of the religious food chain in Israel. Hired by the pagan Romans, they could charge exorbitant taxes and keep most of the money for themselves. So you have a zealot, someone who with intense nationalistic ambitions, we must destroy Rome and those who work with Rome, and we must use violence to do so. And then you have a tax collector who collaborates with Rome and they are together. It must've been a killer Christmas party for the early disciples. Philip. The name Philip means, in Greek, lover of horses. The disciples would argue. Some would say, yay, and Philip would always say, nay. Okay. And this is just half of them. We're not even getting into the sons of thunder, James and John, the strong personality of Peter, and then the one disciple who's going to betray them all in Judas Iscariot. These disciples changed the world. These 12 diverse men Change the world and as the good news of jesus spread like wildfire through the ancient world new people new people groups with new gifts with new accents and new perspectives became a part of the growing movement of jesus and yet there was a unity in their diversity in fact it was their diversity that allowed the gospel to spread as much as it has Romans 12, one says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. The word bodies here is plural, but yet the word as offer as a living sacrifice is singular. So it's, it's this plural. We all offer ourselves as a, sac- a singular sacrifice. That, that it's all of us together as one. Together, as a, there is a communal perspective here that we often lose in the individualistic culture we are immersed in. We offer our bodies together, multiple, as one singular sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. Paul then goes on in Romans 12 to describe what this unified diversity looks like within the body of Jesus. It says this in verse four, for just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function. So in Christ, we, though many, form one body and each member belongs to the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. And if it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. You all have gifts and we need those gifts in the church. The spirit distributes gifts uniquely and it's a safeguard against individualism. We need each other if we are to display Jesus to the world. We need all of your gifts. And throughout our five years as a church, we've taught on our core values. This is not the first time, almost yearly. Three years ago, we did a series called This Is Us and I talked about diversity and how God gives us all unique gifts and we are, u- we are called to use those gifts to bless the world. This past month, after VBS, I was talking with one of our volunteers. She had spent the week doing face painting for all of the kids at VBS and it was hot and it seemed like no matter how much she moved the umbrella, every time I looked at her, she was in the sun, okay? And triple digits. So the last day I'm thanking her for giving up her time, for using her gifts to bless the church. And she says, several years ago, you had a sermon where you talked about us using our gifts to bless people. That no matter what our gifts are, God wants to use them. She said, that changed my life. That's why I'm sweating my butt off painting these kids' faces right now. And not only that, but this amazing woman has always loved uh, cosplay, right? Where you dress up as characters. Okay? She's always loved it. Disney characters or whatever. Okay, lots of people enjoy that. Um, so she didn't stop at just blessing others with her face painting gift. She has gone to Storyland and other parks dressed as famous princesses. And when she goes, she brings so much joy and wonder, maybe even magic, to the lives of the children who interact with her. When she's asked if she works there, she says no. I just want to use my gifts to bless the world." Wow. What gifts do you have that God wants to use to bless the world? Some of you are very good at business. You have had success throughout your career. It's been a great gift for you and your family. Your gift is meant to bless more than just you and your family. There is an ever-expanding heart for the Christian. Our heart gets bigger, and that should affect what we invest in. We're asking you to invest in Prodigal Church. Help us continue to bring God's kingdom here, there, and everywhere. We want to thank you for joining us for week two of our series, Here, There, and Everywhere. We hope you've been challenged to use your gifts, no matter what they are, for Jesus, and that it's people that matter. Everyone has unsurpassable worth. Would you consider giving regularly to Prodigal Church? We know that beginning to give is very difficult. All good things are. Investing in Prodigal Church is investing in God's most valuable creation, people. God has used the generosity of this church to help families make it through the pandemic. God has used the generosity of this church to help people get free from addiction. You can begin giving today by going online to our app or website or use the giving boxes or kiosks in the back. Thank you so much for helping us be greater witnesses here, there, and everywhere. We all have different gifts according to the grace that God has given us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. May it be so, Prodigal Church. Jesus, help us to use the gifts that you've given us, our plethora, our variety, our diversity of gifts and abilities to bless your world, to bless your church, to show and share the love of Jesus. Thank you, God that our call as a Christian community is that you belong before you believe. And our call is to diversity. That different views, perspectives, people help demonstrate your heart for the whole world. God, let the church be a shining light to the world of your love for us. And may we together Offer ourselves as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. Singular. We need you. Help us to be together, focused in on you and your heart. In Jesus' name, Amen. We want to thank you so much for joining us online at Prodigal Church of Fresno. Next week is the finale of our sermon series here, there, everywhere, and we're going to talk about everywhere. And we can't wait. You have an amazing week. Peace in Ukraine.